Again, my name is Steve Wallen, and we're continuing today in our series that we call Hope in the Chaos. Now, we're calling it Hope in the Chaos for a couple of reasons. One, because at the time that Jesus came, the world was chaos. And what we've said is that uh, God, in his infinite wisdom, decided not to try to clean up the chaos, but instead he entered into it, that, that through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, he decided to come down to the world and enter into the chaos. And we believe that God wants to do the same thing for you and your family in this season that, let's face it, can be chaos, right? I mean, it's Christmas. Um, just think about the things that can cause chaos in your life this time of year. What is it for you? Maybe it's the thought of preparing Christmas dinner. Uh, maybe that's the thing for you, like you, you need to figure out what to cook and, and, and how, how to cook it and when to cook it and, and uh, who's going to like what and this person's allergic to that and this person doesn't like those things and, and well, do I use grandma's recipe or mom's recipe because they're different and you don't know, that causes some chaos. Maybe for you it's gift exchanges. Anybody do like white elephant or Yankee swap or anything like that, whatever you call it at the holidays, you do that and the, there's a trick behind that, right? You have to figure out Okay, what's the gift that I really don't want that I want to get rid of, but it's going to be popular for other people to want to get? So, like, what's the best piece of junk I have in my house, right? And that you can kind of stress about that. It causes some chaos. What about um, the financial implications of the whole thing? Like, you think you've got your Christmas shopping done, but then you remember there's three other people that you still have to get for, and you're out of money that you plan for, and so it's going to go on the credit card again. And, man, when January comes... Uh, you're going to be sorry that it was ever Christmas. I mean, sometimes some families will make the worst financial mistake they make all year uh, right during this time. Maybe that's it. For, for us in our house, the thing that causes the most chaos is Christmas wish lists. Now, I don't know if you have kids, but we have two girls, and they're uh, 11 and 10, and what they want for Christmas changes every day. Right, And so it may be uh, today it's a doll, and tomorrow it's a stuffed animal of some kind, and the next day it's an iPod. And if you are shopping for Christmas for my girls, I am so sorry. Um, we have grandparents and aunts and uncles that call and say, what should I get them? And I just say, I have no idea. I mean, I don't even know what we're going to get them. And so it causes chaos. It makes it very difficult to shop for our kids. Well, the funny part is that when, before Jesus came, the people of Israel had a wish list as well. You know, they'd grown up hearing about this Messiah. Everybody that was born in, in, or everybody that was living uh, in Israel at the time that Jesus came uh, had heard about this Messiah, this, this Savior that was to come. They were anticipating him. In fact, their whole lives, if you grew up in that time, your whole life would have been a refrain. Something, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. And, and this list of four names that we've been focused on in this series is a wish list of sorts for the people of Israel. It gives us a, 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 an indication of what they were looking for, and it's from Isaiah 9-6, and it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and here's the list, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's like a Christmas list of sorts for the people of Israel. And so what we're doing is over the four weeks of this series, we're going to take those four names one by one and talk about what they could mean for us today. You know, because just like the people of Israel had wishes and hopes and dreams for the one who was to come, uh, we also have a hope for the one who came. You know, and as we allow him to enter our lives, allow him to have more power, more presence in our lives, he can be these four things for us. And so last week, if you were here, Paul Mumaw talked about that first name, uh, Wonderful Counselor, that Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor. And, and he said that the word wonderful, if you remember this, that word wonderful is actually translated as too great for words. Like we can't describe uh, how wonderful that Jesus is. He knows. 
that he understands what's going on in our lives, we can go to him uh, for help in times of trouble. Scripture says that you should cast your troubles on the Lord because he cares for you. He is a wonderful counselor. Well, today we're going to look at the second name for God, um, and it is Mighty God. Now, maybe this one's a little more uh, easier for you to accept and understand, Mighty God. Now, what does that mean? Well, the the Hebrew word that's used in this text for Mighty God are the words El Gibor, El Gibor. Now, El is a word that just means God. And I say it just means God because it doesn't mean God with a capital G, like it's not specific to the God we know. The word El uh, can mean a God, like lowercase g. Um, At at the time, obviously in the Roman Empire, there were a lot of gods that were worshipped, and that word El means God. And so because it's not specific, usually when it's written down in a Hebrew text and something we would read in the Bible, there's a word after it to describe God. And, And in this case, it's that word, Gibor. Now, Gibor means strong or mighty. It's, it's most often used when referring to a warrior uh, or a hero of some sort. So it could even be translated as heroic God, if you want to look at it that way, mighty God or heroic God. But the implication here is that this Messiah who was to come would be strong and powerful and big and mighty. Now, if you believe in a God who is a creator at all, you don't have to look very far to know that he must be a mighty God. I mean, you only have to look at the scope and the scale and the size of our universe that we live in to know that God must be big and mighty and powerful. He must be an El Gabor. I mean, think about this. Just our solar system, okay? Our solar system, which is the the sun and the eight planets now, since poor Pluto was cast aside. The the eight planets, I still like Pluto, though. I mean, we we love you, Pluto. The eight planets that are part of our solar system, um, just that is uh, we have just now, um, over the entire history of humanity, we have just now reached the edge of our solar system. Maybe you heard this news just a few months ago that Voyager 1, the the first spacecraft that was sent to leave our solar system, left, actually left our solar system. It is now 11 billion miles from Earth. That's so hard for me to believe. In fact, I just looked at the website. There's a website where you can track this thing. And I looked at it this morning, and it's it's traveling about, um, about five miles a second. You can imagine, that's incredibly fast. It's traveling five miles a second, but it's taken 30-some years for it to get uh, where it is. In fact, if they send a message, if you send a message right now uh, to Voyager at the speed of light, it takes 17 and a half hours to get there at the speed of light. 17 and a half, that's how far away it is. But it just reached the edge of our solar system. You know, our sun and the eight planets just reached the edge. It is now in interstellar space. Now, just to give you an idea, you know, our solar system is part of a bigger galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. You probably all learned that in uh, fourth grade science. But it's part of the Milky Way galaxy. If you took the Milky Way galaxy and scaled it down to where it was the size of North America, all right, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, um, our solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, that's how big our galaxy is, the Milky Way. Our, our solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. Now, to top that all off, there are about 100 billion of these galaxies in the known universe. 100 billion. I can't even get my arms around that, and that's in the known universe. Now, sometimes we want a little God. You know, sometimes we want a God who's just big enough to get us out of the bind we're in, and then we'll go and hide again. Like like some of you may have come in today with just that in mind. Like, I need a God to help me where I'm weak, but stay out of the parts of my life where I don't want you. They're off limits. You know, like, or I want to add Jesus to my already formidable uh, array of skills and talents and abilities, and then I'll be complete. Like, like a, a, a lucky charm God works like that. You know, a, a rabbit's foot God. 
But a mighty God is not subject to those kind of limits. So just give you an example here. For, for example, it's widely accepted among scientists that, that nothing in the universe moves faster than the speed of light. It's used as a measuring stick for distance in our galaxies, you know, so they say a light year, that's how far light travels in a year. You learned that in fourth grade science too. I'm sorry, I don't mean to patronize you. I just want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. So the speed of light is used, it's a constant in Einstein's theory of relativity. It's, it's assumed to be the fastest thing, at, but however, Scientists now believe, and this is not pastor talk, okay? This is, this is actual science that I looked up on the internet, so you know it's true. Um, <laughs> from a respectable website, okay, most scientists now believe that if the Big Bang Theory was true, like for the Big Bang Theory to be true, that at some point in the history of the universe, that all matter would have had to travel faster than the speed of light to make that true. But science also currently says that nothing can move faster than the speed of light and certainly not matter. And so there's this, there's this irreconcilable uh, difference here in what scientists believe and what is actually true. No one knows how this could happen or for how long. And as much as we've been working on this, as much as science has been trying to figure this out, nobody, nobody knows. Now, there are dozens of examples like this where we've put these limits, we've imposed these limits on, on God. They've been imposed by our intelligence and our research and everything that we know and we've been taught, but for some reason, the rules just don't add up. Because here's the thing. A mighty God is not subject to our rules and our limitations. In fact, when you think about it, all of science is an effort to explain the works of a mighty God. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't hear what I'm saying and put more words into what I'm saying there, okay? Is science useful? Absolutely. Is it true? I think so. I mean, good, solid science is, is true and helpful, but is it complete? Well, no, absolutely not. Science is not complete, and I don't believe it ever will be because God is so mighty and so powerful, there's no way for our puny little minds to fully understand his great works. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says it like this. Jeremiah says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, if you were here this summer when we studied the story, you may remember the story of Jeremiah. He was a prophet, which means that uh, his life was dedicated to bringing the word of God to the people of Israel. Um, to God's chosen people. And his chosen people, the nation of Israel, was split in two kingdoms at the time of Jeremiah. There was the northern kingdom, uh, which we called the kingdom of Israel, and it had already been taken over by the Assyrians, so they were being held captive. And the southern kingdom, uh, which we know as Judah, was being threatened by its enemies. And, And the southern kingdom in Judah, that's where Jeremiah was from. And God sent this very young prophet named Jeremiah. He was probably about 17 years old to be the last warning to the people of God. I mean, it seems like an impossible task that the the people are going the wrong way. And he sends a 17-year-old boy to go speak truth to him. And so he starts with, ah, sovereign Lord. Now that, that ah is a painful groan. There's a lot of ways you can translate ah. You know, there's like the surprise, ah, that's not this. This is the ah, the painful groan. So, you know, what is it that in your life, when you look at the pain and the chaos of your life, uh, that surround you know that makes you groan like that, you know maybe for you it's the thought of you're not going to be able to be with your family this year. Oh, I just want to be with my family. And maybe for you it's the thought of you're going to be with your family this year. Oh, they're coming whether I like it or not. Maybe it's trying to afford all the gifts. Oh, we got two more, just two more. 
Maybe it's dealing with crowds. You know, you go into Walmart and you have to struggle to get a cart and then you struggle your way around the store and then you struggle your way to find uh, the right checkout line like there is one at Walmart and you get up there and you just go, ah. Jeremiah starts with, ah. But that's not where he finishes. He, He says, ah, sovereign Lord, and then he finishes with, nothing is too hard for you. You know, maybe you'd look at a situation in your life that just seems impossible right now. You know, maybe for you, it's, it's your marriage or your relationship that you're in. Like, it, you just don't think it's going to last. And you go, oh, but nothing's too hard for God. Maybe for you, it's a health problem that you're dealing with or a friend's dealing with, and the test came back negative again, and oh, but nothing is too hard for God. Maybe for you, it's uncertainty. You know, you know that in 2014, you don't know what's going to happen, but this next year, uh, you just wish you had some picture of what it's going to be. Oh, I just want some certainty in my life. But nothing is too hard for God. He is the mighty God. Nothing is too hard for him. In fact, over and over again, Scripture tells us about three characteristics of God using the Latin uh, prefix omni. You know, omni is a word that means all. There's three things that we're reminded about a mighty God. Number one is this, God is omniscient. That means he knows all. He is all-knowing. Um, anybody like the show Jeopardy? I, I love the TV show Jeopardy. Uh, I've watched it since I was a kid, but it took me a while uh, to like it. And the reason was I always thought Alex Trebek was a bit of a know-it-all. <laughs> you know, it's like these really incredibly smart people would get up there and, and I was going to say answer the question, but really they question the answer, right? And so these really incredibly smart people get up there and, and they, what is Sri Lanka? And Alex would say, no, I'm sorry. We were looking for Yemen. What is Yemen? You know, and it's like, how does this guy know everything? And then I realized he has all the answers written on cards, right? Like he doesn't, Alex Trebek doesn't actually know it all. Like somebody's telling him something. Well, God doesn't just have all the answers written on a card. He knows all things. He, he possesses perfect knowledge. He has no need to learn. He knows everything that can be known. He knew us before we knew him. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. A.W. Tozer, who's a great author and theologian, says it this way. He says, God knows instantly and effortly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell, because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions. God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. Number two is this. God is omnipresent. That means he is all places. God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He's close. He is here. He is far away. There's no place in heaven and on earth where you can go and hide from God. Even, even right now, his presence is with us, just like it's with my friends over in Carmel at our Carmel campus right now. I can't be both places at once, but God can. He is omnipresent. Uh, right now, he's also at other churches in the area with our brothers and sisters there. He's, he's at our partner churches in Haiti and all around the world. He is a God who is everywhere at the same time. I love how David wrote it in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is omnipresent. Number three is this. He is omnipotent. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. God can do anything. He's all-powerful. That means he has all power, right? The word used is identical to the word almighty that's used in Scripture. This word is used something like 56 times in the entire Bible, and it's never used of anyone except God. He alone is almighty. He has limited power. And so the sacred writers, the writers of the the text that we now know as the Bible, uh, saw God and saw the possibilities of God. You know, today we see the laws of human nature. We see the things that we can get our mind around, that we can come up with a law for or a formula for, and we see that we're limited in what we know because of that. We're limited by what we've been taught and what we've been told. Sometimes we're too smart for God. The Lord God is omnipotent. He can do anything as easily as he can do anything else. You ever, maybe you have somebody that has this sign in your office or maybe you've seen it in a store. It says, I can do everything. The impossible just takes a little longer. Have you seen those signs? Well, even the impossible doesn't take long for God because it's not impossible for him. Now, you may hear that and you may wonder, well, then why doesn't God always act? You know, why does he respond in ways unlike ways I would? I mean, if nothing is too hard for him, why was there a typhoon in the Philippines? Why tornadoes? You know, why all the hurting at Christmas time? You know, what is it in your life that causes you to ask, God, where's your power? You know, where's your power when cancer finally wins? Where's your power when addiction can't be defeated? Where's your power when my friend's marriage is crumbling? Man, those are tough questions. And if you're wrestling with one of those today, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for what you're going through. And I won't lie and say I understand. I won't patronize you by telling you there must be a purpose behind that. But I will say that in my life, I found this verse to be very true. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he has this saying. He says, he always reminds himself, there is a God, and he is not me. And that's good, because I would be a terrible God. God's power is real. Nothing is too difficult for him. We may not see it the way we want to see it. It may not work the way we want it to work, but I have seen over and over and over again that it works. So how? How does a mighty God display his power for us? Well, there are three ways. And these aren't in your notes uh, on your worship program, but if you want to follow along, these might be good to write down for you. Uh, There's three ways that God works for you. Number one, a mighty God works in you. A mighty God works in you. For Philippians 2.13 says it this way, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's not quite what that verse says, but it says the same thing. You know, we struggle with this sometimes. We struggle, especially in the United States, I think we struggle with the wrong view of Christianity. We have the American view of Christianity, you know, that says it's all about me. It's about what makes me comfortable. But that verse says that it's about giving you the power to do what pleases God. 
This, this past week, Paul and I, um, the lead pastor, Paul Mumal and I were at a conference where we got to hear uh, from Oscar Muru. Oscar is the lead pastor of Nairobi Chapel uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, and he, he did a great job of just laying out how the church is changing, and especially how the global south, you know, south of the equator, Africa and South America are becoming kind of the global headquarters of the church. And he gave us some incredible statistics, like, um, for instance, did you know that today, uh, this Sunday, there are more people worshiping God in Africa than in all of Europe. That's just incredible to me to, to think about, you know, how Christianity has progressed and where it is now. He, he said that many of his people have experienced poverty and oppression, you know, obviously worse than any of us can ever imagine. But Pastor Muru says that, that God has done a mighty work in them uh, through that poverty and oppression. And, 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 and oppression. In fact, do you know what the church in Africa is preparing to do now? This just blew my mind. They are getting ready to come plant churches in the U.S. and in Europe. And they are getting ready to build up missionaries to come and evangelize us. Is that incredible? I mean, think about it. For, for hundreds of years, we have sent people to Africa to evangelize them. But you know what? They look at what's going on in the church in America and in Europe, and they say, you know what? We need to go evangelize those people. We need to go show them what God is really all about. And that's incredible. To, he believes, and I do too, that they're going to be very effective missionaries because it doesn't cost them very much to live, first of all. They don't need health insurance and other things that our missionaries all need. Uh, but, but there's no amount of pain and suffering that they could endure here it's going to be worse than what they've ever faced in Africa. You know, they've already experienced that in their lifetimes. It's incredible to just think how a mighty God is working in them, you know, to help, help us find our way back to God. You know, there's no doubt that when someone truly encounters God, that, that, that God does a work in them, that, that something changes inside of them. I mean, if, 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 if you start following God, some things are going to change. It's a bit like if your neighbor invites you to keep their pet elephant uh, for the weekend, to, to, to watch their elephant while you're away. You can't just expect this powerful creature to come into your house and leave everything unchanged, right? I mean, if, if you watch somebody's elephant, if you accept that invitation, you got to believe your house is never going to be the same again. There will be no room untouched. Everything will change. That's the same way when we encounter a mighty God. You know, think about how this worked in the original 12 disciples. You know, some of them were a little bit challenging, or even wishy-washy when they walked with Jesus. But as soon as they saw the resurrected Jesus, everything changed. They left jobs and families and homes and started going everywhere and telling people about this resurrected Christ that they had seen. And what happened to them? Well, 11 of the 12 were, were martyred, ended up dead because of their faith. You think God couldn't have stopped that? Well, of course he could have. He's a mighty God. God's power is real, but his power is not about making my life easy. I love how one pastor put this. He said, God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. You know, God's power is at work in me. It's, it's, it's working to change me. He wants to take me from being selfish and self-centered to being someone who is other-focused, uh, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5. You know, maybe you feel like he's abandoned you or you're not seeing his work in your life, but I can tell you, his power is real. His power is available to you. If you're in Christ, that power is in you. God, power, a mighty God's power works in you. Number two is this, a mighty God works for you. Isaiah 40 says it this way, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, 
Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The word youth in Hebrew means uh, one of the chosen young men. It's the best of the best. I mean, think about an Olympic athlete. I read this story this week about Lolo Jones. You guys know who Lolo Jones is? Uh, She's a 100-meter hurdler, uh, competed in the uh, 20... 2008 and 2012 Olympics in the hurdles. She was a favorite to win in 2008 uh, when she uh, was going over the ninth hurdle out of 10 in the final and her foot clipped the hurdle and she fell to the track. Uh, She was uh, about 12 meters from a gold medal and uh, obviously lost. And then in uh, 2012, she finished fourth in the Olympic final, which any Olympic athlete will tell you is the absolute worst place to finish uh, because they only give three medals. And she finished fourth. And, but, but her whole life has been dedicated to winning a gold medal. And she's determined to do that. And so you know what she did is she is now training to be a winter Olympic athlete. So she's um, put the Summer Olympics behind her for now because they're not again until 2016. And she's training to be on the women's bobsled team. And she's actually made the national team of the bobsled. Now, she is a brakeman. They call her brakeman. If you've ever watched two-man bobsled, you know there's somebody that sits in the front and steers, and there's somebody that runs and pushes and jumps on the back. Well, that one person that runs and pushes and jumps on the back is the brakeman. And you can imagine it's important for them to be fast, uh, which Lolo has in spades. But it's also important for them to be strong because they have to push a 400-pound bobsled and human Uh, to get started on this track. And what Lolo found was when she started, she had the speed to make this happen, but she didn't have the strength. And so um, I read this article this week that she has been eating 9,000 calories a day uh, to put on weight and muscle. Uh, And not just at Christmas, okay? I'm not just talking about Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, This is every day she takes two 1,500-pound protein shakes and eats McDonald's every day. Uh, McDonald's is an Olympic sponsor. I think that's how they got in the article. But but, um, she is trying to go from 130 pounds, where she competes at hurdles, to 167 pounds, 37 pounds for an Olympic athlete. And um, what she's found is that that even though she's strong uh, in the hurdles, that she is weak in the bobsled. You know, and this, this scripture says that, that um, the scripture says that youth will stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You know, the Apostle Paul said this really well in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. That's a quote from, from God from Old Testament. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what if your current chaos is creating a great environment for some of God's greatest work to happen in your life? What if if God wants to do something spectacular in the mess that you call your life? How many of you have seen the movie Apollo 13? You've seen that movie about the the space disaster? Remember that scene where they're scheming for how to rescue the crew, and Gene Kranz is there. Gene Kranz is the character played by Ed Harris, if you remember him. He was the uh, mission, the flight commander. And and then there's there's, uh, Henry, and then the other NASA guy, I can't remember his name, are talking about that. And Henry is going through all the problems, and that other NASA guy says, says, I know what the problems are, Henry. He says, this could be the biggest disaster NASA's ever experienced. And Kranz looks at them, he turns to them, he overhears this, he looks, and he says, with all due respect, sir. I believe this just might be our finest moment. Do you remember that scene? I mean, you may think you're in your darkest hour, but what if this is gonna be one of God's greatest hours in your life? It could be because a mighty God works for you. Mighty God works in you, a mighty God works for you. Number three is this, a mighty God works through you. 
Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, it's great examples all throughout the book of Acts. We see God's presence working through the disciples uh, to build churches, to plant churches, to help people find their way back to God. Acts is one example after another of the power of God at work through his people. They are reminded time and time again that they are never alone. I remember um, a couple years ago, my family and I were on vacation in the Smoky Mountains, and um, one of the things I love to do is, uh, is run. Uh, people at Carmel know that. You guys may not know that about me. I'm a runner. I love to get away, and I, I love to run on trails especially. And in the Smokies, there are always, there's all these great places that you can go run and, and just get away. And I'm an extrovert by nature, which means I love to meet people. I love to be around people. But just every once in a while, I just want to be alone. And so uh, places in nature are great places to be alone. And so I remember it was April, it was spring break. And so I told my wife and family, hey, guys, um, you guys have fun. I'm going to go run for a couple hours. And so I found this mountain and I found this trail and I started to run up this trail. And I get maybe two or three miles up the trail and I'm running uphill. So it's really slow going. And uh, I remember I just kept hearing rustles in the bushes. And I thought, okay, what do they have down here? Um, I know they have rattlesnakes which I don't like snakes. I know they have gophers. Gophers are okay. They have squirrels. It could be a squirrel. But they also have bears. I don't like bears. Um, I like to look at bears from a distance, and especially if there's a cage between us or something. But, I mean, they're cute animals, but they're not very friendly. And um, they're just waking up and coming out of hibernation, so they're going to be hungry and probably a little grumpy like I am when I wake up in the morning. And so I got about three miles up and I kept hearing these rustles and I I looked around and I thought, okay, what would I do? If there was a bear attack right now, I'm up here on this ridge, there's nobody around me, I don't have my phone with me, I think I'm gonna turn around and go back. I mean, at that moment I realized I no longer wanted to be alone anymore. Maybe you're in a place where you don't wanna be alone anymore. Like you want that power of God to be working through you. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he says, My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul was keenly aware that God's Spirit was working through him. It wasn't just Paul being Paul, but it was God working through him. He was not alone the whole time that he was going around the world and planting churches and writing letters to these churches. Paul was not alone. This is exactly what's happening here this week with our Love Your Neighbor drive. When you walked in, um, you may have seen the Christmas tree in the lobby and saw all the gifts that are gathered around that. Thank you guys so much for that. They're gifts for Good Samaritan. Next week, Good Samaritan of Hamilton County is going to serve thousands of people in Hamilton County by providing them Christmas gifts that they wouldn't be able um, to, to afford on their own. But you guys are a big part of that. And if you brought your gift today or last week, thank you so much for being a part of that. Uh, that's God working through you. If you forgot your gift, by the way, they are due back today, but you can bring them um, by the building tomorrow. We'll have people here. Uh, we're going to take them over there this week. But, but next Saturday, they're going to serve right across the street here at the 4-H Fairgrounds. They're going to serve thousands and thousands of people with a Christmas that they couldn't afford on their own. Um, and that's God's power working through you. Uh, but don't forget, it's not just about giving. There's places to serve, too. And in your worship program, uh, there's a list of places that you can serve. And we've, we've raised the challenge for you guys, for everybody in our church. What if you would give up one gift and two hours of your time this Christmas to help somebody less fortunate? That's one way that God's power works for you, through you. But I want to give you some just ordinary examples 
Uh, stuff that's happening every week. I come from Carmel, uh, from our Carmel campus, and so I get to see this stuff, but I just wanted to encourage you with a few of these stories, Noblesville. You know, last week in 2012, we took 130 or so people from this campus to go launch our Carmel campus. Regular attenders from Noblesville that moved with us to go launch our Carmel campus. If you were here then, you probably remember that, and uh, it may have stung a little bit because uh, some of your friends that you love, you won't get to see every Sunday anymore, and you know, we planned and we forecasted and we worked hard, but truth, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen when we planted it. We didn't know what it meant to be one church in two locations. But did you know that two weeks ago, we had 292 people attend our Carmel campus? And that, we had 130 leave from here a year ago, and we had 292 two weeks ago, well more than double those who left here. Now, many people that wouldn't be at Genesis... Many people that wouldn't be in church are there, but it wouldn't happen if you hadn't been willing to take a bold step. That's a great example of a mighty God working through you. Uh, one of those people is, um, is some friends of mine, Kevin and Ree, and their daughter is named Ava. Um, Ava is up here on the screen. Ava was born at 22 weeks. She was 19 weeks premature. Uh, when she was born, she was one pound, 12 ounce. I got to be um, the first non-family visitor to go see Ava, and um, I couldn't hold her because she was in NICU, um, but she, she, if I put, a, put her in the palm of my hand, she would have come up to my wrist. She was that small. Uh, she was born at 22 weeks. Uh, she, she spent about four months in the, in the NICU, um, but today she's a beautiful, healthy little baby girl, and we had the chance, um, we had the chance two weeks ago to dedicate her. Her family got up on stage and said, I want to raise Ava to know and love Jesus Christ, and we get to be a part of that. And we wouldn't have gotten to do that if God wasn't working through you. One couple I've gotten to know and really love started coming to Genesis shortly after we launched that campus, and they love our church. She comes in during the week to help set up her Gen Kids room. She is committed uh, to what she does. She serves on weekends in Gen Kids, but she also comes in during the week and helps us get our room set up and ready for Sunday. And they're, and they're there every weekend. And they started inviting some friends to come. And their friends just kept saying, you know, no, no, we don't, we don't go to church. Like, we've never gone to church. Thanks, but no thanks. They're very, very skeptical people. But, but, but my friends, Jim and Stacy, they wouldn't give up. And so they kept inviting and kept inviting. Well, for months, they've been talking to their friends about coming. And check this out. Last week, their friends came for the very first time. They attended church for the first time ever ever, and they came to our Carmel campus. And, and I, I got to meet them afterwards and, and went up and just talked to them a little bit about their history. And I got a text this week from Stacy, and it just simply said, our friends loved church. They'll be back next week. I love that. A, a great example of how God's working through you. A couple of weeks ago, I met a man named Brian. Uh, Brian walked in the doors, and he was sweating, which was unusual because it was about 12 degrees outside that morning. Um, he told me that he had just walked there. And then he proceeded to tell me the story uh, that he had been a pastor, but his church failed, and so he had to go find a job, and it took him a lot longer than he expected, and, and in that process, his wife left him, took his family with him, and left him, took the house, uh, took his car, um, and, and most importantly, took his kids, and, uh, but he's slowly rebuilding. He, he's got a job, and He's leased an apartment where he can walk to work. And he told me, he said, I had to come back to church today because I know that God wants to do something in me. And he said, this is the only church I can walk to from my apartment. See, Brian wouldn't be at our church if God wasn't working through you. 
and helping to launch a new campus. This is why it's so important that we're one church in two locations. It's why we're, we keep wanting to seek and ask God, what do you want to do next through us? You know, where do you want us to go? Who, who do you want us to reach? God, where do we need to be to accomplish your mission, accomplish your purpose, and to help people find their way back to God? Because the greatest demonstration of God's power, as much as we talk about God working through us and for us, the greatest demonstration of his power is a life transformed. It's somebody who meets and counters a real live God and comes out different on the other side. There is no greater miracle. If you're in Christ, his power is at work through you. He can work through you in the chaos of your life. If you're not in Christ, you're kind of on your own right now. But that power is available to you through Jesus. Isaiah said he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Mighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. God in you, through you, and for you. So we've been using that verse, Isaiah 9, 6, as kind of the theme uh, verse for our series. But behind the scenes, um, we've been using another verse as well. It's one that we've been praying for you. Our, our staff, our pastors have been praying for you guys every week. And we've been praying uh, this verse, and it's Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. It says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We've been praying that for you the last two weeks, that you would know the hope, that your eyes would be open, that you would know the hope that's in Jesus Christ. I mean, even in the chaos of the season, that you would know that there's hope. And so here's what I'd like for you to do. I wanna pray with you right now. I just ask you to stand up if you're able. Would you stand up? I, I want to pray that you would know the hope and the power of God for your life, whether in your pain and your hurt, in your questions and confusion, you know, your fear and your uncertainty, and in, in your health, in your marriage, in your family. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father God, I thank you so much that you are a mighty God. And you're a mighty God that wasn't content to just sit on his throne and watch what happens but you're a mighty God that made yourself nothing in the form of a baby and came down to earth to save us, to, to walk with us, to give us an example of how to live. God, to offer us hope in the midst of our lives. And Lord, we're focusing on that right now at Christmas because Christmas can be a chaotic time, but we all know that all year long we, we face chaos and we face confusion. We face problems in our family. We pray, face problems in our marriage and our relationships. God, we have questions about when will we ever get married? When will we be, ever be able to have a baby? What's going to happen with this situation? How, how's that court case going to come out? How's, how's that medical test going to come out? God, we face all of those questions. And as we do that, I just pray for each and every person in this room that we would be able to see, that our eyes would be open to see the hope that is in you. God, we have great expectations for what you're going to do in, in this season and in our lives. We are just, we're waiting to see you move. And so we pray even this week that you would become apparent to us, that in the places in our life where we don't see you moving, God, that we just have great expectations that you're going to start to move. We pray that you would do that now, God. Thanks for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen.